This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Do you like scary movies? Sure you do. It's spooky season after all, so what better way to get into the Halloween spirit than by plopping down in front of a film engineered to scare your pants off? Scary movies are a dime a dozen, of course, but every one of us has one movie that really got to us. A film so deeply terrifying that it haunts our dreams and sometimes, like when you go downstairs to get a drink of water in the middle of the night, that invades our real lives as well. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Glenn Weldon. And today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about the scariest movies we've ever seen. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. Joining us today is NPR producer Mark Rivers. Welcome back, Mark. Very happy to be here, Glenn. Uh, Happy to have you. And also joining us is Jordan Cruciola. She is a writer and producer and the host of the podcast Feeling Seen on Maximum Fun. Hey, Jordan. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Hello, hello. All right. I love it when I don't have to write an elaborate table setting or do a really big explanatory (laughs) comma, the NPR explanatory comma. No preamble, no table setting, just a simple premise. Scariest movie you've ever seen. Mark, hit me. 
All right. So there have been plenty of movies kind of over the years that have kind of gotten under my skin mm-hmm. or, you know, really unnerved me. I remember when I was young, Carrie really hit me hard. But I think the one movie today that anytime I watch, I'm just caught in its death grip is The Babadook. Ooh. Babadook, oh, sure. Duke, yes. Duke. Good pick. <laughs> this is Jennifer Kent, the Australian filmmaker's movie. And it's the only movie that's ever made me exclaim in a theater, oh, F that. <laughs> but I'm not much of a yeller in a theater, but that one really did it for me. And the way the Babadook says his voice, it's just kind of like his vocal cords are serrated. It's just, I've never heard anything like that in a, in a, in a, movie, in a movie before. And quick synopsis, it's about this widowed uh, single mother and her kid, this very kind of troubled, difficult kid. And they wind up being terrorized by this, like, you know, mysterious spike-fingered entity that kind of pops out of a storybook that they have on the shelf one day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this movie, I think, kind of falls in line with a discussion around trauma plots, sure. not just horror movies that, that have, like, depended on trauma as almost a narrative crutch. Mm-hmm. But here, I think Kent uses it almost as a weapon. It feels weaponized against the mother. It feels weaponized against you almost because Kent just completely puts you in her psychic and emotional space. And it is a terrible place to be. And I think what the movie really shows is just how little you need to actually scare somebody. You don't need the jump scares. You just need very simple things like little stars of glass that show up where they definitely shouldn't be or a person's reflection showing up where it certainly just shouldn't be or even something as simple as the look on a kid's face when he looks at their mother and realizes that their mother may harm him. I think one thing about horror that can be really effective is when they take things that are almost taboo, almost unspeakable. And I think there are very few things more unspeakable than the idea of a mother hurting their kid. Uh-huh. Mm. And here, it's just that kind of taboo. Just It, it, it just unsettles me every, every time. And um, it, it loses me a little bit once Kent gives the mother kind of like supernatural powers. But honestly, at that point, it's almost like a relief for me because I'm reminded that it's just a movie and not a waking nightmare out to get me. So I'm, I'm cool with it. <laughs> I think one thing about great horror movies is, is that like they can feel like they're coming after you. And I guess I wonder if there are movies for you guys where it's like a, the movie makes you feel like you're unsafe while watching it. I almost chose this movie uh, myself. But I think for me, when I think about movies that feel like they're coming after you, it's usually the sort of home invasion type of movies. That's one of my biggest Mm -hmm. fears. I don't understand Mm -hmm. how people don't have blinds or like curtains on their windows because I'm just like, everyone can see inside your house. That's terrifying. (laughs) So, you know, something like Scream, the opening scene still, yeah, that still haunts me. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? If it was just like, hey, pick the scariest scene of the 21st century, the home invasion sequence pulled out from us, I think is one of the most awful Mm. experiences of my entire life in the exact way that it was designed to be. There's a family in our driveway. There's not a family in our driveway. Huh. Who is that? And also, I'm with you, Mark. I hate jump scares. Jump scares, I just resent jump scares because that's a physiological response. You didn't do anything, movie. Totally. You, it's like Pavlovian. You shook something in front <laughs> of me. You didn't do anything. Okay, you choreograph a fine jump scare and tell me you didn't do anything when it goes <laughs> I know, off. Come on. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just somebody jumps out of a closet and goes, boo. You don't critique how well they jumped out of the closet. You know what I mean? It's not, it's right. not that. And also, I think <laughs> the films that traffic in dread, like the Babadook does, like us does, I mean, that 
I guess you can have a little bit of both. There's but... a reason the Luton bus has a name and defined a key aspect of horror since Cat People in 1942, and it's because the timing of a jump scare is a masterful mm. Yes, I was going to say that. Mm-hmm. It's more about the editing and the pacing. That is what we are awarding. It's a release. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that much. It's a release. I think what I resent is when they kind of underline it or italicize it with sonic cues. The zoom, you know. Yeah. I've never heard a cat make that noise. I've been around <laughs> cats. And they, don't, they, don't, they don't make zooms. They're, they're very kind of like light scurrying. And I think a movie like The Babadook or a movie like Us even, they allow you to kind of like to sit in the quiet stillness of a scene where all you mm. really have is your own anxiety and it's, and it's kind of allowed to build. And they don't need all these kind of like sonic or visual kind of devices to kind of make you feel what the scenes are already be making you feel, you know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Jordan, when I learned what this show was going to be and the fact that you were on it, I was like, well, I mean, of course, there's an inevitability to this. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I want to hear from Jordan Cruciola what the scariest movie you have ever seen is. Hit me. 1997's Event Horizon. Okay, I hate this movie. Directed by Paul (laughs) W.S. Anderson is the scariest movie I have ever seen. And it is a movie that three separate people completely unconnected in my life have told me it is the scary movie that made them realize they can't watch scary movies. Hmm. Now, guys, Hmm. Paul W.S. Anderson, not necessarily P.T. Anderson. Not P.T.A., yeah. Let me tell you, he put lightning in a bottle with this knockout cast, Lawrence Fishburne, Jolie Richardson, Sam Neill, Richard T. Jones, Kathleen Quinlan, Jason Isaac, Sean Pertwee. Come on, you cannot go wrong with that murderer's row. I love sci-fi horror. I love isolation mm-hmm. horror. And it's a bit like a haunted house. It's a bit like a home invasion. Like your vessel is being invaded. You cannot get to safety. You are in a cabin in the middle of the woods. And this time the woods are space and the cabin is like Neptune and where you're outside of it. So this ship... The Event Horizon has a pioneering new technology at the center of it. It has the gravity drive, which theoretically can send you from one point in space to another immediately. Well, when it goes out to test that technology in the year 2040, it disappears. They send out a rescue vessel helmed by Captain Lawrence Fishburne and joined by chief science guy who invented the gravity drive, Sam Neill. And they are sent to salvage either what is left of the crew or the tech or the ship or all of the above. But what they find is nothing hospitable, and where the ship has been and what it has brought back with it are horrors of the highest order. And this movie, for me, was like, I'm going downstairs, I'm not turning off the lights behind me. I'm getting to my room, Mm -hmm. I'm making sure that hallway light stays on, and I am nestling myself Mm -hmm. under the covers. I think I put it on the strength of the cast and the production design of the ship that makes this movie that does have many dissenters power through some of its messiness or unevenness. And it gives you some of my favorite gore that I had ever seen up to that point in my life that I still think holds up. The airlock, when a guy gets airlocked in this movie and blood comes out of every single pore of his body. I mean, my God, the images of like gore plastered to walls highlighted only by flashing lightning that comes in from like Neptune storms outside. I think this is top shelf isolation horror. I think this movie is a perfect blend of that dread that builds in the classic horror terrible place and also excellent jump scares and meaningful gore that really plays to like your visceral deep fears. Mm-hmm. I love Event Horizon. I watched it recently. Totally holds up. I love showing this movie to other people. 
I call it a classic, and I love standing for the 90s in a way that love the postmodern drop. Scream at all. Give me the faculty. Give me disturbing behavior. Give me all of those, like, teenager movies. But the 90s have so many gems of horror that do not adhere to that, like, thematic resurgence of the genre that put it on the blockbuster level again. And I think Event Horizon mm-hmm. is one of the best. I think the thing about this movie also is that it's, it rejects today's idea of, like, elevated horror, like, prestige horror. It is just down. It's down dirty. <laughs> and honestly, I think it kind of, I think it made the plot sound too complicated. This, this other, this other ship finds another ship that it went to hell and back and did not come alone. Fact check, yes. <laughs> I mean, horror to me is like one of the more derivative genres, right? Like so many horror was just pulling from this, pulling from that. But it's what you do with the ingredients. You don't know where this is going to be going. It is a true ride. What happened to your eyes? Where am I going? We won't need eyes to see. Sam Neill saying where we're going, we won't need eyes to Truly see. Truly chilling. Truly chilling. It maintains yeah. its status as one of the great line <laughs> no, readings yeah. of all time for me. See, that's the thing. Okay, so I saw this movie in a theater and I hated it. And I do not remember anything about it except that concluding image of Sam Neill. And yet I have never watched it again because I know I don't want to because it was so mm-hmm. creepy. And <laughs> one of the things it does, it's, it puts us in this science fiction space and then flips it and then does a premise switch where we're getting all kinds of hell stuff. So a lot of Judeo-Christian hell Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like, I thought that was not what I signed on for a movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie knows just how much to show you also. It shows you just enough to be appalled, but not so much you're kind Mm -hmm. of like just overwhelmed with it and that you're kind of like like numb to it. When they first see the footage of what happened to the last crew and Lawrence Fishman has this just like perfect, just kind of like deadpan reaction, like, we're leaving. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, Pack mm-hmm. up my ship. It's like, yep. n- enough said. All right. Well, I am sold. Never seen this movie, but now I, I obviously need to see it. <laughs> yes, Aisha, you definitely need to see it so it can traumatize you like it's traumatized us. Yep. Uh, so that is 1997's Event Horizon. Thank you, Jordan. Aisha, what, what's the scariest movie you have actually ever seen? Oh, okay. So... I'm already sensing that there are going to be people who are like, really, Aisha, what are you talking about here? This is not a conventional pick, I I think, by any means. But I think just off of hearing both Jordan and Mark's picks and the way we're talking about these things, you know, when you ask this question, you're really asking, I think, or at least the way I interpreted it, is like, what is the thing that scares you most? Mm -hmm. Whatever movie can bring that out in you, I think it's going to be the thing that you consider to be the scariest movie you've ever seen. And I think there are definitely movies that have had had more of an effect on me in terms of like me not wanting to go downstairs or always, always, ever since I saw Psycho when I was like 10. I make sure, like if I'm home by myself and I'm showering, the door is getting locked. (laughs) That being said, the movie that I picked, the one that sort of still haunts me and just makes me really, really it just unsettles me. I think unsettling is more of a word than like scares me is the 1955 film Night of the Hunter. Oh, now, sure. oh it's my Yay. favorite film ever. Yeah. I love it. You're I love it. I love so it. You, you right. win. You win, Aisha. You oh, win. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to win, but I will take the prize. Dang. So uh-huh. 1955 directed by Charles Lawton, the only movie he ever directed. He was an actor. I wish he had made more because this movie, like for this to be your one and only like mic drop, like come on now. One of the great ones. One of the great ones. So basically, Robert Mitchum plays Reverend Harry Powell. He is a phony minister, minister in in air quotes, who seeks out widows to marry and then kill for their money. So you've got serial killer, 
one of the things that scares me. He's also a, a fake preacher, fake minister, fake person of the cloth. Um, and that's another thing that scares me, not just about religion, but just those people who uh, claim to be moral, claim to be like have the high ground and are really not. They're the complete opposite of that. Hypocrites. I hate those people. Um, <laughs> and this is actually based on a real person, Harry Powers, who is this guy who like answered Lonely Hearts ads and murdered women and their children for money. Um, and what makes this film so unsettling is not just those things, but it's the way that Lawton sort of imagines this world. There's, It's really dealing with this idea of artifice. And Harry mm. Powell, he famously has two tattoos on all of his knuckles. On one hand, he has love and he has hate. And that's been, you know, referenced in countless movies over and over. We see him coming into a town and he targets Willa Harper, played by the great, fantastic Shelley Winters. Mm -hmm. She's been widowed because mm -hmm. her husband killed a couple people in a bank robbery and uh, hid like $10,000. And he told their son where it is. And his son is the only one who knows where it is. John and Pearl are his children. They're young. Harry marries Willa kills her and then he tries to figure out where the money is and he knows the kids know and the kids run off. This movie is just, it's creepy. It's shot like a German expressionistic film. There's lots of angles, yep. angled set pieces, dark lighting, very stark highlighting contrast. And when the kids make their way to this woman played by Lillian Gish, Rachel Cooper, who's basically this like tough old broad, <laughs> and I mean that in the best way, who has opened her home to stray children. And here we have Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, <laughs> the, re the hymn that pops up a few times. But I want to play a little clip from a moment. This is like the third or fourth time when it shows up in the film. And Harry is like sitting outside of Rachel's house like, I'm looking for this money. And he's trying to claim that these kids are really his kids. And she knows it's a, that's not true. He's sitting outside singing that song in his creepy voice. Leaning. Leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. So we have that. And then we see Rachel sitting in her rocking chair with a large shotgun. <laughs> and then she joins in. Yeah, she does. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, safe. Lillian Gish with her shotgun. This this movie's scary. It scares mm -hmm. me and it still haunts me. I don't know how you all feel about it, but it sounds like you all also understand where I'm coming from here, even though it's not your traditional horror movie. It's more film noir, sort of. Night of the Hunter would be one of my top ten favorite movies, if not for how much those kids annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> I, I can't I I cannot stand yeah, the sound of this movie. Oh, I'm usually with you on kids, but I, I I like the kids here. Maybe that's just me, but... A sort of emotional double feature I put that in my mind with is one that I did consider for this. Like, I knew it was going to be Event Horizon, but I was like, but if it's something else, it might have been Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. Because yeah. De Niro sure. as Max Katie, as that depraved, just like the limitlessness of the grotesque inhumanity, and particularly like the way that that movie ratchets itself up in any one-on-one -on -one involvement between Robert De Niro and Juliette Lewis giving one of the most incredible young actor performances you've yeah. just ever seen. 
you can't argue with a good killer movie. And then, like, the introduction of, like you said, those taboos, like, with children and, like, the sexual violation and infringement on children. And then just, like, somebody willing to make something so benign or perhaps polite or courteous or genteel fully crazy and indicative of the most disgusting thing you've ever seen or representative of the scariest thing you've ever seen. I mean, it... It just rearranges you inside, and you're like, I can never see anything pure again. <laughs> I mean, it's that it's that like Freudian idea of like you know the terrifying being the familiar, right? Like Night of the Hunter is just like really yeah. just like mm-hmm. American stew of of just like you know American misogyny of yeah. you know destitution yeah. of you know religious fanaticism. Like yeah. these are such familiar things that the movie kind of like makes uncanny through its images and like through these characters, and it's it really is like a kind of like dream that like you can't like shake. I love that movie. It's just, it's, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it too. I, and I think it's about seeing these very, you know, classical Americana, the, right. the prairie, uh, the the farm mm-hmm. through this incredibly dark lens. This film is worth the price of admission because you get to see Shelley Winters say, my whole body is just a quivering with cleanness, <laughs> which is right there. So right. That's all you You're need. so right. <laughs> all right. So my pick kind of synthesizes a bunch of things we've been talking about. I had considered... Um, at first, several documentaries about man's inhumanity to man. You know, I'm fun. Um, so like The Oof. Act of Killing and The Wonderful, Horrible Life of Lenny Riefenstahl, which are all very disturbing films about, you know, the lack of morality. But then I thought, you know, that's not scariest. That is very mediated. It's processed, kind of intellectualized because I am me. And I thought, no, for scariest, you got to go pure. You got to go true. You got to go primal. You got to go pre-intellect, pure emotional fear. And for me, that means childhood fear. So, folks, please welcome to the stage the 1968 Sudsy Soapy Fun for the Whole Family musical extravaganza, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I'm out on this one. I'm totally out on this one. Have you guys seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? That's a no from Mark. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes. I mean, I've seen it once. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, and for listeners who have not seen this film, Dick Van Dyke plays an inventor. He goes on a magical adventure with his two truly annoying and repellent kids. Talk about repellent kids. Um, whom the movie finds adorable, but you won't. And his new girlfriend, who's played by Sally Ann Howes, who is not Julie Andrews. Don't get it twisted. She's not. Yeah. You could mistake her for it if you squint. And he's got this magical flying car, which lands in a kingdom where children are outlawed. Now... If you know this film, you know I'm not trying to say – I'm not out here in these streets saying that this is the scariest film of all time. Yeah, what are you suggesting here, Glenn? <laughs> it does contain a few songs that are going to chill your blood. There's a song called Truly Scrumptious, which is sung by those two tone-deaf kids. You're going to want to take out your eardrums with uh, knitting needles. <laughs> it's bad. I'm talking about only a couple scenes, and it's one character whose name, whose face, whose costume, whose whole vibe is indelible. If you belong to the now several generations of kids who've had this character kind of seared across your very soul, right now you are closing your eyes, you are picturing him. I am talking about the child catcher. I can smell them. In the film, this guy is dressed as an undertaker. He's all in black. He's got a black top hat. Black oh, top hats. Yeah. Like the Babadook. Motif's hair, yep. <laughs> Sign of evil. Top hats are terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got a, a black butterfly net and a black hook. And I always thought the hook is scarier than the butterfly net. And he doesn't find the kids at first, right? So he comes back later 
dressed as a candy man to entice the children out of hiding, he calls to them from the village square. Lollipops and all free today. Cherry pies, cream puffs, ice cream, treacle tarts. Treacle tarts and ice cream and all free. Come along, kitty winkies. Kitty Winkies. Yep, I'm a little, I'm a little under. Okay, <laughs> a couple things to note. Uh, a treacle tart. That doesn't sound good. That sounds like a medical condition. Treacle tart. <laughs> you don't want. You've blown a gasket if your tart is treacling. The other thing is ice creams. He's got ice creams, <laughs> and you know, I, I get it. I get it that it's British, but like the plural unsettled me as a child because it's not where that should go. So. The child catcher was played by Robert Helpman with two ends. He was an Australian uh, actor, dancer, choreographer, which checks out because one of the things that makes this guy so unnerving, Mark, is how he moves. Mm. It's very balletic, but there's also a lot of British panto. You could kind of tell from that. <laughs> it's kind of broad. And I do commend to you and to our listeners this guy's Wikipedia page, Robert Helpman. He had a long and fascinating and queer as hell mm. life and career, so rest in power, but one of the reasons it's so terrifying is because it's not you don't go into this theater thinking you're going to be terrified right because you go to Night of the Living Dead you think okay I know what's, what's I'm in store for this is so wrapped in this very sugary treat and in the middle of it there's this <laughs> black licorice hateful <laughs> character that is coming for you well I just have to say this is so crucial that you have brought this movie in actually because we shouldn't have a conversation about the scariest movie you've ever seen without that critical component of scary things which is things ostensibly meant for children that are yeah. actually the scariest damn thing you could ever imagine. <laughs> and, you know, if you grew up with the Dark Crystal. Yeah, yeah, If yeah. you grew up watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, if you mm -hmm. grew up watching, like, fantasy programming of the 1980s, if you watched Legend and you saw Tim Curry as Satan oh. and you had, like, mm. the image of what was possible to scare you change forever. Like, the element of, like, it's fantasy, but it's also, <laughs> like, a prime evil sensation. That is mm -hmm. such an important category of horror. Things for Absolutely. kids that are actually things for adults that will scare you forever. And I think one reason it stays with me, and Jordan, either help me out on this or contradict me, but I think we can say that conventional horror, which this, this is very much not. Sure. Conventional horror is pretty conventional. So the people who get punished generally, mm -hmm. historically, transgress in some way. There's mm -hmm. a moralistic streak to it. They have sex. In slasher films, <laughs> they have sex. The worst of sex. Or they desecrate a grave or they go to a cabin they were expressly warned yeah. not to go to. Yeah. Somebody makes the wrong choice. Capital W, capital C, the wrong choice. In this film and in the other, some other films we're talking about, they're kids. Mm -hmm. They merely yeah. exist. There's nothing they can do mm -hmm. about it. It's who and what they are. Mm -hmm. They're being hunted. They will be punished because yeah. they're kids. Now, yes, in this case, we can say that, you know, they're caught because they give in to their desire for candy, mm -hmm. which also is very, you know, Judeo-Christian. It's very Hansel <laughs> and Gretel. It's very Germanic. Yeah. It's very Lutheran. It's very physical pleasure. It's for the weak. So sit here in this splintery pew and think about our Lord's suffering. It's very that. But the prevailing conditions of the story are these kids are just kids and children are outlawed and are to be condemned. And if I had to make a theory of the case. I would say that why this still has its hooks in me is my status as a queer person in America in 2023, mm -hmm. it's who I am. Can't do a thing about it. And yet my mere existence mm -hmm. is all it takes for, for me and folks like me to be the target of some pretty ignorant and hateful rhetoric and mm -hmm. actions. 
And like in the film, not just by my fellow citizens, but in the film, by people in power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think that's pretty mm-hmm. easy to unpack. I don't think I'm a very complex person here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is going on here. You know, to say that horror movies might be a dime or dozen or like can be a collection of pastiches. But like you said, it's what you do with the ingredient. Mm-hmm. It's the stew that you make out of the things that you have in the pantry. And the fact that you can evoke those sorts of reactions from people grafting them thing- themselves onto a narrative and that the humanity that they find within it is such a pain point as to understand the fear and paranoia of being ostracized for who and what you are simply for the fact and nature of your existence and that you can feel that when you watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> like and that that we can put into a discussion like that has every bit the like weight and standing of talking about Night of the Hunter and the deep visceral appeal of a movie like that yep. like that is the amazing power of fear invoking cinema like that is why these movies still do numbers at the box office that is why this communal experience still works out when we're wondering like what is the future of the theater outside of Marvel? Like, yeah. Because we need to feel these things together. Like this is the rock concert experience of seeing a movie together is horror. Yeah. And the great thing about that too is that like you don't need to sell it based on, oh, it's a sequel to this movie or like, like oh, it's based on this thing. It's just like, oh, you just got to see it. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like the, it's the one genre where you can, we can kind of just like get away with just like selling it based off. You just, just got to see it. Like it's, it was crazy. And people go, okay, don't tell me. I don't know anything. Yeah, don't tell me anything. Yeah, no spoilers, <laughs> yep. you know. Well, that's us. We now want to know what you think. What is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Find us at facebook.com slash P-C-H-H. I'm sure I can hear you shouting. The Exorcist, Silence of the Lambs, OG Halloween, The Shining, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Blair Witch Project, which we almost hit. It follows Hereditary, all these movies. But that brings us to the end of our show. Jordan Cruciola, Mark Rivers, Aisha Harris, thank you so much for being here. What a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you have not yet signed up and you want to show your support and listen to this show without a single sponsor break, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Liz Metzger and Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR.